Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. Yeah, you think about it. You've got this big floor truss that might have taken a 20-minute fire, and now you've got a system in there that might take five. And that's from when the fire started, not from five minutes after the fire department started throwing water on it. So half the time, by the time you guys get there, that is already a problem. You're spot on. And actually, your numbers are pretty darn close to what we've seen in the tests. Uh, I mean, we've had fire chiefs all over the country. The, the Give me my 20 minutes back. I mean, give, give me my reliable amount of operating time before I have to worry about this building falling on me or me falling through it. And uh, in many cases, it's just not there anymore. And it's tough because nobody thinks a fire is going to happen to them. So when you don't think you're going to have a fire, these conversations don't come up. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House Show. This is where we talk everything about your home every single week. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a special guest in the studio. This is one I've been looking forward to. We got Steve Kerber, Vice President and Executive Director of UL's Fire Safety Research Institute. Welcome to Around the House, man. Oh, thanks for having me, Eric. It's going to be a lot of fun. There is so much to be learned about fire and fire safety. And I don't want to make this sound like some kind of a preaching thing, but man, it seems to be coming into fall and winter. It it just seems to be interior house fire time between people with Christmas trees and and space heaters and just goofy stuff. And it, it just seems to be so much that can be prevented. Yeah, you're spot on. Uh, I mean, the statistics show that as we get into November, December, January, the the colder months, as well as with all the holidays, the opportunities, the ignition sources, uh, all of that comes together. And we do see an increase in fires and fire fatalities during this time of year. Well, you guys, I love what you guys are doing for firefighters out there because, you know, each department has their own stuff that they're doing, but it's great to see an organization it's really kind of diving into fire science and the causes and what causes a fire and what hurts firefighters as well. Yeah. I mean, our community relies on our firefighters as kind of our last line of defense. And, and in many ways, a lot of stuff has to go wrong for them to be needed. But when they are, I mean, lives are on the line and we have dedicated like, I mean, for me, it's been the last 20 years of my life doing research to make them safer and smarter as well, because they, they can't experience everything themselves. So if we can set up some experiments, we can help them understand the environment that they work in. Uh, they can be smarter. They can be more effective. And we all benefit from that. I don't know how many times I've seen, you know, when I was a kid, I'm in my fifties now, but fire department roll up, maybe air packs weren't put on. They're running into the fire. You know, there's there's not a lot of thought going into now and now with the training and the safety for those guys, because so many firefighters have been getting lung issues and and 
lots of different cancers from that kind of stuff. It's really had to rethink of how people firefight these days just because of some of that. Yeah, it's an incredibly complex profession. And I use that profession very broadly because of the million firefighters we have in the United States, 700,000 of them or thereabouts are, are volunteer. So these are folks that are uh, leaving their lives, leaving what they're doing and serving their community for nothing in return. So, yeah, we want to do everything we can to make sure that, uh, that they're smart, they've got the training, they've got the resources, and, and I'm glad you brought up the, the cancer issue. Uh, the International Association of Research on Cancer just linked the actual act of firefighting as cancerous. So, sure. I mean, it's just the nature of, of doing that job is led to a higher incidence of cancer. And uh, in many ways, that's not fair. That's not what they're signing up for. So what can we do to limit their exposure? And the bottom line is that where we live and where we work is just full of plastics. It's full of synthetics. It's full of all kinds of chemicals uh, that not only you breathe in, but also the transport through their skin. Yeah. So uh, it's the danger is immense, both acute and chronic. Yeah. And one thing that I've had too, we had another firefighter on here um, oh, a couple of years ago, and we had a discussion just about building science, about how truss roof systems and floor systems with those stamped metal plates can be such a danger to homeowners and firefighters when you get a fire in that cavity and all of a sudden these cool, cute little metal plates that are pushed in holding all this lumber together start to curl. And now you have kindling instead of something that was really bolted together. It's been a fun evolution. Uh, we study this stuff all the time because in many ways, stuff that makes perfect sense for the construction industry, whether it's stronger, lighter, cheaper, all of those things are good. The problem is in many ways, it also from a fire safety perspective can be disastrous. Uh, so you mentioned metal plate connected wood trusses. I mean, we've done all kinds of tests on different engineered floor systems and roof systems. And what you see is there, there's no free lunch, right? So the, the trade-off of having an engineered eye joist or a metal plate connected wood truss is that wood burns. We know wood burns. There's less of it. Uh, yeah. So the term we've been using, we, we replaced mass with math, which <laughs> from a construction standpoint is genius. Yeah. Um, we don't have the uh, two by 12 dimensional lumber that spans 40 feet like we might have had in the past. We, we cut all those trees down. Yeah. Uh, so now we've got to make it other ways, whether it's OSB or plywood or combinations of all of the above and great for construction. But we've got to protect it. We've got to we've got to get the equal level of safety that we had previously. Um, and in many cases, that doesn't get figured out till after the fact. So a number of firefighters have fallen through floors into mm -hmm. basements on fire and, and are no longer with us. And uh, we've got to catch up and make sure that we that safety is not being compromised in the name of, of cost or something like that. Yeah, you think about it. You've got this big floor truss that might have taken a 20-minute fire. And now you've got a system in there that might take five and that's from when the fire started, not from five minutes after the fire department started throwing water on it. So half the time, by the time you guys get there, that is already a problem. 
you're spot on. And, and actually, your numbers are pretty darn close to what we've seen in the tests. Uh, I mean, we've had fire chiefs all over the country. The the give me my 20 minutes back. I mean, give, give me my reliable amount of operating time before I have to worry about this building falling on me or me falling through it. And uh, in many cases, it's just not there anymore. And it's tough because nobody thinks a fire is going to happen to them. So when you don't think you're going to have a fire, these conversations don't come up. Yeah. Yeah. And something, and especially now that we're starting to, to get even more complex with building, we're starting to put, you know, solar arrays up on the roof now that is constantly powered. You know, I, I, I talked to electricians and like, Oh, in a fire, you just turn the handle off. I'm like, yeah, you're not powering the rest of the house, but there's still power up in that. When you guys have to jump up on that roof, it's still hot. Yeah, it'd be an interesting conversation if you showed up and someone's house was on fire and you said, uh, sorry, we can't do anything till the sun goes down. Right. Is uh, not going to be a, a acceptable thing to have a conversation about. Uh, and then that energy's got to go somewhere, right? So that's going mm -hmm. to energy storage systems and that might be in the garage or in the basement, which poses new hazards. So yeah, the firefighters workplace and even our homeowners living place is constantly evolving. Uh, so we've got to understand these hazards. We've got to understand the pluses with the minuses as we design these things and put them into, into our homes. We need to make sure that everybody understands what's going on. And yeah, no, nothing comes with no new risk. So yeah. we can accept that risk. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's going to push back against renewable energy and, and all of these great concepts for our environment. Uh, however, let's let's make them safe. Yeah, Steve, it's like in my garage. We were just talking about this before we hit the the go button. I've got 20 batteries hanging up on my wall system back here that you can see at least. And there's probably a few more back over here. But that changes, you know, in a garage, it used to be, OK, it was the the chemicals. It was the paints. It was maybe a propane tank. But now you've got batteries that can be their own mess and chargers as well you know that that major sin of a garage of walking away with that battery charger going for a weekend or a week when it should just be charged and turned off that that puts in a whole other risk for firefighters inside a garage let alone the house yeah firefighters and homeowners uh i mean it's we're introducing new ignition sources and these batteries are critical to our lives now i mean we we've got them for everything and we need to count on the fact that they're not going to catch fire when we're not around or whatever the case is. I mean, as I look behind you as a fire protection engineer, uh, immediately I see it's like, all right, we've got the batteries and then they're in plastic and the plastics on wood. I mean, that is a perfect recipe. Should there be a fire to spread that fire? Um, so it's, it's one of those things. I mean, you're smart. You, you turn, you put them all on a power strip and you turn that power strip off when you leave the room. I mean, what you're doing there is you're reducing your risk of overcharge of one of those batteries by making sure that it is not supplied to your house electricity all the time. Uh, we're also counting on the, that particular brand you have behind you of having good quality control, of having testing from a third party listing organization. Uh, so you've got peace of mind that you don't have a poor quality cell in there that's gonna go into thermal runaway just because of manufacturing defect or something like that. Um, but ultimately you don't have full control over that. So it's, uh, it's a little bit scary. 
Yeah. You know, the ones that I think to me in a house are the, are the most scary are those little handheld phone rechargers, right? The, the sure. little handheld, it could look like a little brick. It could be a little tube, those things. And, and companies will buy them and give them away. And, and, you know, it's, it's at a fair or a home show or whatever, but usually those are the lowest quality ones that they got off the internet. And I can't tell you how many pieces of carpet that I've seen. How do I fix this question? And I'm like, man, you were in a fire. You just caught it in time. And that's it. And that's, uh, I mean, we constantly talk about what is the state of the fire problem in the United States and things like that. And I mean, what this brings to mind is the only the stats that get tracked are when the fire department gets called. Uh, we have more fires every single day that homeowners, luckily, either the smoke alarm goes off earlier, they witness it or whatever the case is, and you can dump a cup of water in it. Yeah. Well, the time between cup of water on carpet and solving the problem and fire next to a sofa and the house is burned to the ground uh, could be a really thin line. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's important. I mean, it, these new technologies are going to come with, with new fire problems and yeah, we, we need people to just understand what's going on there. I mean, you're right. These, these tchotchkes that you get from conferences, they're, they're not buying you the, the $50 battery bank. They're trying to give you the $5 one so they can put their brand on it. And hopefully you see that brand for the next uh, two years of your life. Um, but chances it also are, could be the brand we, that burns the house down too. It very well <laughs> could be. You're exactly right. I mean, that's why you want to follow all the best practices and hopefully buy a quality product. Cause yeah, your, your brand recognition might be linked to someone's worst day. Yeah. That's, and that's not good. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about fire dynamics and people inside the house before we get into some of these other discussions, but some things that homeowners can do, and I'm talking just leaving the bedroom door shut while you're sleeping can be such a big difference. It's crazy between that and a battery and a, and a smoke detector or carbon monoxide. Some basic things can make a life difference for you in a house fire. Yes. I mean, you're, you're absolutely correct. And I mean, we see this time and time again, as we do our research, as we conduct our experiments and things like that, that uh, it's really the, the main ones are the, Fire's fast and fire's gotten faster over the decades because of all the synthetics that we put in our homes. These plastics burn faster um, and release more energy faster. And people just, I think, make the assumption that fire's been slowing down over time, that we've been figuring these things out and cavemen figured out fire. So it should be getting safer every day beyond that. And the truth of the matter is all these other choices we're making as a society are going in the opposite direction of that. So we actually have the, the chance of dying in a fire today is higher than it was 50 years ago. Yeah. And I don't think people realize that. I mean, it, it should blow people's minds. Um, I mean, where they should feel the safest in their home is actually the least controlled environment we have. Uh, usually where people work. There's amazing codes and standards and sprinklers everywhere and mm -hmm. fire doors and exit stairs and and they do evacuation drills. Yeah. And, and all of that. We don't do that in our houses. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the best you can do is, uh, well, the best you could do would be to get a residential sprinkler system. Sure. Um, but a lot of people don't do that or it's not required where they live and it can be expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that tends to not happen unless it's required. And there's only two states in the United States, Maryland and California, that require sprinklers in homes. Um, so everybody else is either going to have to ask for it uh, and demand it. Or even if they do demand it, they might not be able to get it. So from that point on, it's all right, what do what do we have control over? Well, one, if fire's fast, we want to be notified as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So that's where the smoke alarms come in. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, again, they, they don't think a fire is going to happen to them, so they don't think about it. And there's a lot of nuances around smoke alarms that, that people probably don't realize. Um, one is that you want one on every level of the home. And you want them in every bedroom and outside every sleeping area. So what this does is it gives you the greatest chance of being warned. If, if I told you you only have three minutes from when a fire starts until you can safely get out of your house, you want as much of that three minutes as possible. So if you've got that coverage of smoke alarms in your home, the chances that you get notified, let's say within a minute, go up. Um, and then there's also interconnected alarms now as well, and they can be both hardwire connected and also kind of Wi-Fi interconnected. So let's say you're, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're in your garage or in your basement or what. I'm in the garage right here. Yeah. Yes. You're in the garage and let's say you had a fire in your garage. You don't want to wait until the smoke gets out of the garage into the house up to the bedrooms and then setting off the alarm next to your bedroom, that could take minutes. Um, and by the time Especially that happens, with a fire door, fire yeah. sheetrock in there, you've done a pretty good job of keeping it inside that structure, but you also have stopped yourself from knowing about it as well. Exactly. So you, you could be totally on top of a fully involved garage on fire where the only way you would know about it is if the neighbor across the street saw it and came and knocked on your door and rang your doorbell. Uh, We don't want that to happen. We want you to know as fast as possible. So that's really where the interconnected alarms come into play. Um, People also don't realize smoke alarms expire. Yeah. So 10 years that you need a new, you need a new alarm. Those sensors don't last forever. And I think people don't realize that. I mean, I I know even my going to my in-laws house and it's like, oh man, these are the alarms that came with your house when it was built in 1982 um, you're way past. So great Christmas gift, by the way, yeah. um, give the gift of safety to your family, uh, check how old the smoke alarms are and replace them all. If, uh, if they're older than 10 years old, it's and funny. I got into an argument with a client over this subject. So I'm an interior designer <laughs> by trade. I'm not doing anymore, but I walked into her house and we're walking through this about three years ago. And I look up and it, that was a 1972 smoke alarm. <laughs> it just was. <laughs> And I yeah, looked at it and I go, I go, that's like, that's like drinking six month old milk up there. Come on. And I knew that she used to work for the fire department and she's uh, like, oh, it'll be fine. And I looked at it and I go, come on, you know better. And I gave yeah. her hell for it. And she, the next week I was over there, she goes, you jinxed me. I'm like what? She goes, that thing last night started going off for no reason. And I realized I was wrong and I had to go up and change it. But even as a yeah. professional, she knew, but she was just 
playing with fire. But I went a step further on my house. I went with that Google system out there, the Nest sure. Protect. So now what I love about that, I have it in my kitchen and, you know, a common place for a fire and I'm adding it throughout the rest of the house. But what I like is it'll tell me when it detects a little bit of smoke yep. and it'll actually text my phone. So maybe the dogs are home and I'm not, I'm out running around and I can see if I was to ever have smoke showing up in the house, I'm going to know that there's smoke before the fire and I might even have to be home for it, which I think is huge, especially if you're a, a parent with teenage kids at home, you know, those are all important things. And I know it's a hundred bucks for a, for a smoke alarm, but a hundred bucks is pretty cheap when it comes down to it. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to put a value on the the safety of your family and, I mean, I know there's people out there that don't have a hundred bucks to spend on a smoke alarm, but um, yeah, it's it's vital to have that early warning. I mean, I, I can't think of a more helpless feeling in the world than knowing that something's going wrong in my house and my kids are in the house. And, right. and even if you're not there, I mean, even if they're teenagers, it's, yeah. I mean, I, we know how that works. They're, they're blasting their music or they're playing their video games or whatever. And I mean, you could have a fire next to them and they wouldn't even know what was going on because they're so into the game and there's, I mean, they're just headphones are on or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're in a different world. Uh, I mean, sometimes maybe figuratively or literally depending on uh, if they've got their VR headset on and everything else. And it's uh, yeah. I mean, all all these crazy new things that we're evolving, we got to pay attention to the bread and butter safety aspects as well. Um, you brought up the closed door. I mean, so here, here's the next component. We got the smoke alarms covered. Yep. The closed door doesn't cost a thing. Absolutely free, just a simple behavior. And we've done experiment after experiment. And what continues to stand out is the difference between surviving a fire and not surviving at that fire could likely be a cheap hollow core door that yeah. is as i mean talk about another evolution i mean you know this as you've been designing homes and things like that mm-hmm. i mean we used to have real doors i mean we used to have solid wood doors that were actual useful um for for many things sound dampening yeah. and wow. and uh things like that and they and they were beautiful and now, now you'd probably pay a ton of money to get one of these things at some reclaim mm-hmm. store or something like that but they would hold up tremendously to whatever exposure you'd put on them. And then it was like, well, that costs too much. We don't have that wood. So then we started cheapening up. And now it's essentially a, a very couple really thin pieces of wood with cardboard in the middle. Uh, to well, keep that doesn't a like to burn. Yeah. <laughs> you can even get them molded and everything else. And it's wood pulp and it's not even wood. Yep. Um, but we've gotten really smart at making that look okay. Yeah. Uh, but what that means from a fire safety perspective is that, I mean, you, you want that barrier between you and where that fire could be or where that fire is. And it can cut off that source of smoke, that source of heat and buy you very valuable time to figure out how do I get out of this place? Yeah. Um, which brings us to the, the last really important piece, which is escape planning. Um, if you think Huge. that you can wait until you actually have a fire and I'll figure it out on the fly. Um, not a chance. Uh, yeah. I mean, this, we, we see it every single day. I mean, there, there was one day this year in the United States where people did not die in a home fire. One wow. day. One I mean, day. We're, we're most of the way through November. Exactly. And I think we're somewhere up to 2,000 people dying in their homes. Yeah. 
And uh, these are all preventable. Um, so that yeah, door- I've got in our master closet because uh, we're second floor and it's just my wife and I, kids are off to college and gone, but so it's just the two of us, but I've got one of those escape ladders that I can throw over the deck outside or out the window in the bedroom. Cause I've got a slider out the, you know, out the bedroom, right out onto the deck and I could pop out that way if we had to, I don't have yeah, to worry about can, it. Yeah. Yeah. You thought about it. You're like, all right, well, if I, if I get a fire anywhere in my house, chances are that by the time I wake up, realize what's going on, the wife and I start, what the heck is that noise? And you investigate and try and figure it out that your exit out of the front door, the way you would want to go is likely going to be cut off by smoke. So if it's going to be cut off by smoke, what's the plan B? Well, plan B is out the window. All right. Well, I don't want to hang and drop out the window. Uh, so we're going yeah. to go ahead and, and get a ladder that that we can go ahead and get out and, and get down. Um, if you didn't have that ladder, plan C is door shut, get to the window, call 911 and, and start yelling. Hopefully the fire department gets there in time and that door lasts long enough with the heat uh, or a neighbor gets a ladder to you or whatever the case is. But I mean, it, our research has showed that you can take a living room fire from a small flaming ignition to the living room completely involved in fire in about three minutes. The average response time of the fire department in the United States it's about six minutes. So you do the math. I mean, you, yeah. you need to be able to get yourself out. You need to be able to buy yourself time because it's on you for quite some time until the fire department's going to get there. And they're coming yeah. fast. They're doing the best they can, uh, depending on what kind of community you live in. It could be four minutes in a city. It could be 40 minutes in a rural area. So, I, I literally have a quarter mile away. I have a fire department right there. But who says they're not on another call? when my call comes in and now Bingo. the next one is two miles that way. So now I just tripled my response time. Absolutely. And, and no control of you whatsoever. I mean, if you've got two departments that close, you're in a pretty well protected area. That's not yeah. common for most of the country, uh, but you're absolutely right. They could be out helping Mrs. Smith with a heart attack and uh, they're not available when your house fire comes in. We don't plan these things. Yeah. It's uh, random. Yeah. It's random. Yeah. The other thing that I'm a, a big proponent of, and it saved my butt one time. So it's one of those things that, that I've always done is having nice, big fire extinguishers in certain places around the house. Sure. And, you know, I've got three in the garage by every door, one by every door. You know, yeah. I, I, I was like one in the kitchen, one in the master bedroom. Just because if you need that as an option, you have an option right there. Yeah, these are tough. I mean, as uh, someone like yourself that, that plans for this and knows how to use a fire extinguisher, it sounds like you might have had to uh, deploy one or two in your life. Oh, I got a story uh, for you there. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's tough because fire grows so rapidly that the important guidance there is, one, the fire's got to be small. Mm -hmm. And two, like you said, you've got them by your exit points, which is critical because you don't want anything between you and a safe way out. So in many ways, people need to realize either either I'm getting this fire or I'm not, but I'm not going to get cut off from safely being able to get outside should it not go well. Um, 
and it's, that's it's why so they're there simple. for that. I didn't think of as, okay, I'm going to go in and play hero here. Yeah. Mine was okay. If I need this to get out, cause I'm in a bad situation, I'm going to wish I had it there. Well, at least I give myself one other option. Yeah. You, you got one other option. I think the key is don't underestimate the smoke either. Um, yeah. Don't, don't go crawling through smoke. If you can't see your exit from where you're going and it's not clear to you, don't try and hold your breath and go. Don't try it. I mean, we, we, we tell kids stay low and go. It's like, well, no, stay low and go. If you can see your way out, don't just take a shot at it. Cause I think that's where we see a lot of issues is people like, well, my front door's there. All I have to do is hold my breath and run. And the smoke is thick. The smoke is hot. It's not the white wispy smoke that you see at a campfire <laughs> or anything like that. It's, it's caustic. It's nasty. It's brutal. Oh, God, it's so full of chemicals. A few breaths could be deadly. Um, so it's like, no, you got to go plan B. You can't, if plan A is out the door and you can't see the door, please turn around and, and get a door between you and where it is and find another way out. Um, because I think that that people take a chance and uh, even a little bit of uh, carbon monoxide, you're not going to be thinking straight. Yeah. And uh, it goes downhill quick. Man, I, my fire story I had, I was dating this girl 10, 12 years ago, and uh, she was helping care for her dad, her mom and dad. Her dad had Alzheimer's. And so they had the, she was staying in the unit kind of down below, nice daylight basement house, nice view, everything else. And she's got her kids, getting get them ready for bed. I'm watching TV, hanging out, getting ready to head back to my place. And I hear one smoke alarm go off upstairs. And I'm like, hmm. Then I hear the second one go off. And I went, okay. So I went running upstairs. And I had already, because of his mental condition and his illness, went, okay, we're going to put a few. Because he liked to go. We, we always were trying to battle the stove with him. So I had yeah. it on the galley kitchen. I had two huge fire extinguishers on the wall. And he had gone in there with this big 64 ounce truck stuff coffee mug from the eighties and put it on the electric burner and tried to reheat his coffee. Yeah. Didn't know any better. Yeah. And then once it caught on fire, he starts taking a, a, doesn't think to turn off the stove, but he's got a rag and he's trying to beat the fire. Well, now he's got, we got eight spot fires in the kitchen because plastic's yeah. burning everywhere. Yeah. So man, I got him out of there. I used both of those five pound fire extinguishers after getting the, the heat off of it, just to get the fire out in that kitchen. And it was a heck of a mess, but yeah. it was fire department was already called. I was just, okay, I think I can get this, but uh, whoo, it was, like I was 10 seconds away from that, getting out of the, getting out of hand. You, you saved his life. I mean, there's yeah. no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we, and we see this all the time. It's uh those that that have illnesses or i mean they're just they're they're not all there and what seems common sense to just about anybody they see the opposite as common sense i mean we see it i mean people putting plastic things on burners or or going to cook something and then they fall asleep or wander off and do something else and next thing you know it's uh you got a deadly situation so I, I have mean, a, I have a pet peeve right now over this. And I don't know if you've ever seen this on Etsy and stuff out there. People are making these stove covers. I don't know if you've seen these, like, see, so you got a 30 inch range and they're building a wood cutting board to go over the top of that thing. That's terrible. Ju jump on. You can go find a hundred companies making these things on Etsy right now. You can see them on Amazon. You can see them on eBay. 
every time I go rifling on people when I see these in woodworking groups and everything else going, all it takes is for somebody to bump something and that's out of control. And you just gave it a huge ignition source. I mean, even in the eighties, when you used to see those little tin metal things that you'd put on the stove covers that grandma used to have, those things would always have coil marks and stuff on them because somebody would leave it on and that was metal. Yeah. Oh, it would catch all the grease. Yeah. You don't keep it clean. And all of a sudden that's just a catch all to, to get burning. But I, I hadn't seen those yet. I mean, that sounds like an awful idea. Um, oh. But we're so, I mean, we solve one problem, right? I mean, we, okay. We, we don't have a lot of space in our kitchen. Mm-hmm. So we go ahead and come up with this ingenious idea of, well, I can turn my over top of my stove into a, a cutting station. And uh, people just don't think that, you know what? No, this could be a fire hazard because um, they don't think it's going to happen to them. It's it's not they're not being malicious. They're just indifferent to the fact that that could happen. And it's uh, this is what we see every single day. Yeah, there's a new product. You know, I'm, I'm a speaker for the uh, uh, National Association of Home Builders on their technology front. And I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's a new system out there called Ting Labs. And what that is, it plugs in the wall and it detects electrical fires. I've been working with those guys for about four years now. And man, I love that thing. Anything I can do to plug in my wall to help sense what could be an electrical issue in my house. Man, that's peace of mind right there. Certainly peace of mind. Uh, but yeah, it, t- it takes that desire to know that that could be an issue. But yeah, I mean, electrical fires remain a top cause of fires across the United States. And uh, in many ways, you you can't see most of the system, right? So yeah. to, to have that heads up that uh, something's not right, especially with all the loads that we put on our power systems these days that maybe they're not designed for, uh, what a great tool. Yeah. Somebody brought that to my attention recently because they, uh, I think their insurance company had come to them and say, Hey, we want this, you to use these devices, uh, to prevent these loss and sound, sounds like a great idea. Yeah. It's really cool. It shows, uh, and I've tested it too. I actually was doing some work around the house and I played with one of my old outlets with the stab connector in the back and said, okay, let me see if I can force carefully this thing. And it, sent me a warning and I'm like, wow, okay, that worked. It sensed that I had a bad stab. Okay. I'm a believer, you know? Sure. So, yeah, I know we, we've done some tests in the past where you look at, uh, the amount of those kind of, uh, rubber coated staples that you put on all the wiring throughout your house. And like, what are the chances that you either hit it in too far or get one of the legs through the wire and short it out or whatever it is. There's just so much potential and none of it's malicious. It's just, I mean, it, there's thousands of those things in a house, right? And, yeah. and are you going to get them all perfect? Well, maybe, maybe not. No, no. And it's not going to be day one. I mean, it could be year 20 or yeah. something like that, that it finally gets hot enough to cause a fire. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the fire science stuff you guys have been doing with studies. I mean, I was kind of reading through some of the stuff you guys do where it's always fascinating to go in and watch, you know, some of those test burns with homes and where you've got a fully loaded building, for instance, said, okay, this is as real as we can make it. And it's fascinating to see how fast those fires take off. And now that it seemed like in the eighties and seventies, we, we were trying to put on these chemicals to stop fires 
and, and on furniture and stuff. But all of a sudden we realized those were filled with cancer and now things seem to be more flammable. What have you guys been finding with this fire science stuff? Cause I think it's got to really help us at least understand what's going on out there. Yeah. Uh, if, if you name a challenge in the home, we've tried to study it in some sort of way, at least to, to give the public the knowledge of, of what is going on and, and what they need to be ready for. And I mean, upholstered furniture is just one of those things where um, when we had cotton furniture, uh, I mean, I think back to my grandmother's house where all 80 year yeah, plus year old furniture, maybe it had a plastic cover on it or something like that. But for the <laughs> most part, it was uh, absolutely all cotton stuffed and it had springs in the cushions and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's hard to make one of those things burn. I mean, you, you could drop candles, cigarettes, all kinds of stuff on it, and it's going to burn slowly. Yeah. Um, well, cotton doesn't age well. It, it gets uh, it doesn't get comfortable yeah. after a certain period of time. And sometimes it smells and all kinds of other stuff. So in the 50s, when we started creating plastics, an evolution of that is polyurethane foam. And oh. it's incredibly durable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easily to clean. Uh, it holds its shape, all the good things you would want in a comfortable piece of furniture, except it burns like crazy. If, if an, an ignition source comes in contact with it. And, uh, I mean, you can see that evolution from like seventies, eighties, nineties to today, where all of the natural furnishings have been moved out of our homes. We've replaced it all with synthetics and I think there was ideas back in the 70s and 80s that, yeah, we'll put flame retardants uh, in yeah. this foam and it won't burn. Uh, some things kind of got mixed up there where they they didn't put enough in mm-hmm. and that the stuff that they did put in was starting to migrate out of the foam and get into the dust of the home. God. And that's where, I mean, we absolutely do not want flame retardants in people's systems. Um, it leads to all kinds of negative outcomes, including cancer and, Mm -hmm. uh, thyroid issues and everything like that. Um, so now the kind of current state of the art is no chemicals, but with no chemicals comes no, nothing to slow the fire down. Yeah. So we have all the furnishings being sold in the United States have little to no fire protection built into them at all. So Uh, If you do get a small ignition source, that fire is going to spread incredibly quickly. And a lot of our tests have showed uh, pretty much three minutes, three to five minutes. You've got a room completely involved in fire. And then it starts spreading to everything else we were talking about, the lightweight construction, the open floor plans, Mm -hmm. um, all of these features that we want in our homes all really go against common fire safety practices and knowledge. I mean, the open floor plans, I mean, that's, I would doubt you would build a house without an open floor plan these days, right? right? It's so true. It's so true. You know, and the people that don't have them want them, you know, let's pop out those walls and it's, it's still common to this day. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, who the hell was thinking about uh, load bearing walls at any point now, all of a sudden everybody's concerned with them, which, which ones can I take out? And uh, (laughs) now that I have these, laminated beams and all this other lightweight construction materials. And I can span long distances because mm-hmm. I couldn't before. Um, I mean, we kind of joke, you were, you were limited with the dimensions of your rooms as you were building homes based on how big of a stick could you get? 
And right. uh, so every, I mean, if you had a 14 foot room, man, you Woo-hoo. found some big lumber. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was way to go. You're not in like 10 foot rooms. Uh, but all of that has ramifications. It's all a big system that kind of adds up. What's your take on the new products that I'm seeing coming out now? And I don't want to get into so much into brands, but there's a lot of new building materials that are starting to come out, like framing lumber and stuff that have treatments and stuff on them. And, and I'm starting to see more and more of that. That's kind of a, a you know, maybe it's a certain color or something like that, but you're starting sure. to see some, some fire rated building materials as far as the rough framing. What's your thought on those? Uh, as long as they're tested and certified and they do what they're claimed to do. Um, what I think people need to realize is there, there's no magic bullet here. Wood burns, regardless of what you treat it with. Um, and it all depends on, we kind of say, how hard of a hammer you hit it with. So if it's got a really small ignition source next to it, it could probably resist that really well. Um, but if you've got a sofa on fire, no, it's not, it's yeah. not going to make much of a difference whatsoever. And uh, you're going to defeat whatever treatment, whether it's pressure treated or topical treated or whatever it is that gets put there. Um, some of the tests we did early on, we thought that might be a great solution to yeah. when we talked about getting your 20 minutes back to the fire yeah. service. Uh, oh, yeah, you can roll this paint on and it'll resist it. Not not with a legit content fire. Yeah. Is, is that going to help you? So. Yeah, it all depends on what what is the use case and what are you trying to accomplish. There's no magic oil or paint or whatever that we've seen that's going to solve all the problems. Well, I always thought that, too, when I saw it, I went, oh, this is cool if it worked. But by the time that fire has gotten to framing, right? I mean, you've already gotten through the drywall. You've already gotten through maybe insulation or whatever else in there. You already got a hot mess going already. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, you brought up drywall. I mean, here, here's another one that we learned somewhat accidentally. Um, we had built a bunch of houses to do the test that you were talking about. We're going to do yeah. firefighter ventilation tests. So in order to do that, we need living rooms on fire and, and everything burning. We're building real houses. Um, so from one year to the next, we're like, all right, well, we're going to look at something different, but we're going to build the same houses again. Well, we started seeing the drywall started falling off the ceilings really early in the fire. And we hadn't seen that before. And it's like, what's going on here? Well, that was when they made the transition from drywall to ultra lightweight drywall. Oh, no. They got really (laughs) smart. I mean, the drywall industry is genius. It's like, what am I carrying this heavy board around for if I can make this lighter? So they make it lighter by blowing air bubbles into it. So they blow air bubbles in, which means it has less gypsum, which means its fire resistance is not going to be as good. And what we saw was if you use the same screw pattern from the regular drywall to the ultra lightweight drywall, it starts falling off sooner because there's not as much grabbing those screws and holding it to the walls and the ceilings. Um, But there's no test for a house that says you need a certain fire resistance. They have it for commercial buildings. They have it for, for garage. <laughs> they have it for a garage. Uh, they do not have it for most of your house. So there was no test it had to meet. The only test it had to meet was a bending strength test. That way, when you're carrying them around and transporting yeah. it, you're not ruining a whole bunch of boards. 
So these are things that happen over time that every little piece might not be noticed. But when you start adding a bunch of them up, we're not we're not in a good spot right now. So every uh, new house that I'm seeing out there, I mean, if I walk into any major brand home center, those stacks are always of the light drywall. Every yeah, you new can't house even going get the regular in. stuff anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's all oh. ultra lightweight or whatever their proprietary version of it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you would have to special order what you and I would consider regular drywall from 15 years ago or whatever the case is. Or you'd have to just go with the 5.8s fire rock fire rated, rated stuff. And yep, that which gets no you back into it. Do. No, it's, it's so heavy. Yeah. Nobody likes to work with it. The electricians didn't set the boxes at the right depth. You know, yep. you, you chase the problems around, but. Uh, Man, that would sure make me think about that if I'm building a house right now that I would go, huh, maybe fire rated drywall is the way to go. Yeah. Or or even if you went ultra lightweight, that if you look at the specs when they use ultra lightweight into a fire rated system, mm-hmm. they put way more screws in the field than you normally would. Ah. Uh, so, but people, no, no residential construction guy is going to put more screws than they do traditionally no. um, because it's not required. So yeah, I mean, we're going to start seeing more fires that would have been maintained in a room are now going to get into the structure. Oh, that's disappointing. I, I want us <laughs> to go in the other direction. It's just uh, I'm with you. <laughs> yes. We got to start working the other direction, but I, I guess we, we need to figure out how to balance all of these innovations with a fire safety mindset as well. And commonly, no one's being malicious. No one's sitting there saying, I want houses to burn to the ground. Yeah. Uh, It's just these kind of tangential issues that that spur. You know, it's like I'm out here on the West Coast, of course. So I'm out in, in, uh, you know, outside fire country. You know, I'm outside of Portland, Oregon. But it's something that uh, in our you know, July, August, September for us is bad out here. And that opens a whole other can of worms because I have neighborhoods here in newer construction where I can tell you that me being a layman looking at this block going, all right, these houses are six feet apart from each other. They're going to try to contain this to the block, not to the house. You're so right. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're you're in wildland urban interface land uh, mm-hmm. is what we like to call it, where the houses get built into the the woods. It's beautiful. Um, it makes sense. But we also need to then use practices that are not going to have the fire going from the trees to burning blocks down um, easily. And there's a lot of things that we're learning that you can do. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it revolves around construction practices and uh, getting things like vents and, and pathways from the outside to the inside that meet certain requirements. Sometimes those requirements don't exist yet. We're still running yeah. tests to try and figure these things out. Uh, an example is ridge vents. Yeah, um, there that seems to be a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, it's not. We haven't figured that out yet. We're still working on that. But I mean, as we speak, I've got a team up in Philadelphia that's looking at separation distance, mm-hmm. uh, is looking at different siding materials and the difference that that makes to structure to structure fire spread. And then next week, they're going to be looking at windows because that's another one where, I mean, double pane, triple pane, uh, argon, no argon, mm-hmm. uh, tempered, not tempered. There's, there's all kinds of options. 
if yeah. you're going to build your house in the middle of the woods, it might make sense to go with a particular set of windows uh, to try and keep your house from burning down. Um, and we're trying to figure out what that is. That way we can give that knowledge to people that might be conscious of, uh, mm-hmm. all right, I'm willing to build in the interface, but because I'm willing to do that, I'm going to take these extra steps because it's not, it's not just their home. I think that's another thing that people need to realize. It's, it's not their home. It's not their community. It's the firefighters that they're going to put in harm's way, trying to protect where they live. And there's other people at stake here. And yeah. uh, we've got to be smart across the board. I mean, my neighborhood here where I live in, um, it's very much a tree community. It's forest. I have, you know, 15 trees that are over 300 years old that are, you know, 200 feet tall here. And yeah. I don't get an ounce of daylight except for maybe a six square feet area. I have full tree cover over my house. And so I start to think that way too, for instance, going, okay, we've done such a great job of creating windows for hurricane areas. Mm -hmm. You're right. We should have something that's going to be more resistant for fire as well. Yeah. And what, what guidance do you get? I mean, there's all kinds of, I mean, you're sounds like somewhat of a special case. I mean, we try and get people to not have trees within uh, like flammable shrubs within five feet. And then like 25, 50, hundred feet, we start looking at, all right, what's our defensible space here. It sounds like you could have a fire roll right over the top of your house and there, there is no defensible space. Yeah, um, there's not. And, well, and unfortunately, in my tree area, it would take me four years of permitting to actually get it to be what sure. would be smart. And they probably wouldn't yeah. allow me to do it anyway. No, absolutely. So then, all right, well, if we can't do that, then what are the next steps? Well, you want to have a fire rated roof. You don't want to have wood shake roof. Um, and then there's little things like uh keeping things around your deck clean, uh, oh, certain gutters. materials you make your fence out of, keeping your gutters empty. Because, yeah, it might, it might not be a fire in your community with with a little bit of wind and some dry conditions. Mm-hmm. It could be five neighborhoods over that's on yeah. fire and the embers are all falling on your house. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it recently. I mean, you, you could be smoked out by a fire that's in a different state. Oh, um, Yeah. We, we, so. we've gotten smoked out here from that. And, uh, when I grew up in Eastern Washington, I actually got knocked off the roof of my house by a PBY plane doing a water drop. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was taking a picture. I was up there setting a sprinkler cause we had a wildfire coming and I set my sprinkler up. I had a camera with me too, just to see if I could get some shots up there while I was up there. Plane came in. I'm like, Oh, cool. I took a couple pictures. Then I went, that water's still coming out and man, it knocked me off into my yard just holy cow that, that is, uh, got lucky but i would did that sticky nasty soap filled water or whatever they put in there for fire retardant that was brutal but uh yeah i've seen the wildfire stuff and it's scary and and i know people on the east coast don't really get to see that as much as we do out here but uh it's it's real for half the country it, well, I think they said, uh, I forget what the stats are, something like 75% of the country is now considered part of the wildland urban interface. Um, mm-hmm. What we don't have on the East Coast is the topography um, and the same types of fuels you have. I mean, we tend to, it doesn't get as dry. Yeah. But I mean, you live it all year round. I mean, there is no season anymore. I mean, yeah. it's just whatever the weather pattern happens to be. Uh, the Marshall Fire in Colorado a couple of years ago, I mean, it, it wiped out a thousand homes and then it snowed the next day. Yeah. 
So it's, it's a whole different environment and yeah, it's just stuff we need to pay attention to be smart about. There's a lot of resources out there uh, that you could look at to, we're not calling it, uh, we used to call it hardening your home uh, from wildfire, but now apparently that terminology, people don't know what that means. They don't know, like they think they're trying to buy harder materials or something like that. <laughs> so it's, it's trying to create a, a fire protected home um, yeah. from the wildland fire. So yeah, a whole other topic we could talk for hours on. Jeez, absolutely. That's a rabbit hole. We could all dive down. But before <laughs> we go out here, man, what are some of the other tips that you've got out there if we if to, to wrap up this one here? Because I know you and I can do this for hours because there's so much great information here. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to go back to the the kind of the top three. I mean, the smoke alarms, making sure yep. that one, they're they're not expired and that you got them on, one on every level of your home in every bedroom and outside every sleeping area. If you can have them interconnected, even better. Um, They also make long life batteries now. So you can get a 10 year sealed smoke alarm. So you don't have to change the batteries for daylight savings and and all of that stuff. It's it's not going to chirp at 3 a.m. because (laughs) that's when all the batteries tend to go bad at like two or three in the morning just to piss you off with the chirp. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, and that's another thing that you don't have to worry about with your, uh, your new system is yeah. you can see the battery life of that anytime you want. You don't have to wait till it gets to uh, 2% at three in yeah. the morning. You can do it on your terms, which is exactly. Good. Uh, then we've got the escape plans and that's the mm-hmm. A, B and C uh, yeah. escape plan. A, is out through your normal way to come in and out of your home. Typically it's the front door. Make sure everybody knows that. Make sure everybody practices that. Um, Know not to go through the smoke. And if your exit's blocked off by the smoke, plan B. Plan B is go to another way out. Typically it's a window in a bedroom or something along those lines. And if you can't get out, let's say you're on the third, fourth, fifth floor of a building or something like that, your plan C, get behind the closed door, get as far from the fire as possible, get to a window, call for help and wait to be rescued. So simple ABC. And then the closed door, close before you doze, we say, put that barrier between you and a fire before you go to sleep at night. And it could make a tremendous life and death difference uh, if you have a fire in your home. So it uh, doesn't cost a thing. Uh, we've seen tests where we got a thousand degrees on one side of the door and a hundred degrees on the other. And uh, you want to be on that hundred degree side, not connected to that thousand degree side. And if you're out there remodeling, guys, take a look at those solid core doors. Might help you out in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Steve, thanks for coming on today, man. And uh, we're going to do this again. Steve Kerber, UL Fire Safety Research Institute. Thanks. I appreciate it for taking the time today, man. This is great. And I hope we've uh, changed some lives out there. I hope so, too. Uh, people have this within their control if they think about it. And I uh, appreciate you getting these important messages out to your audience. It's an important one. And that's a wrap. And thanks for listening to Around the House. Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, 
It realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.